Good morning. Good to be with you all this morning. Surprise for some of you. It's a, you weren't expecting this. There's a lot of unexpected, as Ben started the service with. A lot of unexpected things are happening in this church this morning. Praise God. Uh, one thing that I always rejoice in, I mean, I'm just thinking, last time I preached here was what, maybe three months ago, something like that? And uh, just to even see new faces from that, from that time and to see the, the way that the Lord continues to bless and strengthen and grow His church uh, locally and globally, it, it's a blessing. I uh, bring greetings from Joy of Pittman. We, we love this church. We pray for you all the time. Uh, and uh, it, it really is a blessing to be with you. Uh, I'm going to be stepping away. You're, you're going through uh, John chapter 1 for your Advent series, uh, but I'm going to step away from that for this morning, and we're going to be in Matthew chapter 1, if you want to open to that in your Bibles. I'm going to read Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25, but we are going to focus in this morning on one verse uh, from that passage, which is 121. Matthew 1, 18 to 25. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. It's the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, as has been mentioned many times in this service, apart from your grace and mercy, apart from your Holy Spirit's power, we can do nothing. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Uh, so may it be that my words would not be my own, uh, but would be faithful to yours, and that your spirit would work through this weak vessel, in our hearts and in our minds, transforming us from one degree of glory to the next as we behold your glory, not our glory, your glory, all for the praise of your name. May Christ be exalted. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, last September 11th, uh, 2021, was the 20th anniversary of, of the terrorist attacks on our nation, striking the World Trade Towers in New York City, the Pentagon in Washington, D.C., and another target that was not realized because of the bravery of passengers of United Airlines Flight 93. Uh, for those of us who are adults, been, been alive for a while, you probably remember exactly where you were at the moment that that began. 
Uh, you might remember where you were watching it on TV. Uh, last year, I was watching TV coverage. They were playing basically the replay of TV coverage from that day. They were, they were showing the news uh, from that day as it happened. Um, and then the, the particular broadcast I was watching weaved in some home videos taken by people on the day of the attacks. And as I watched in these home videos, I was particularly struck by something I knew, but I hadn't fully considered before. There are people being evacuated from ground zero of the attacks in New York. They're, they're being encouraged to speedily get out of the air. You see people running in suits and dresses and heels, and they're, they're running uh, to get away from the trouble as fast as they could, urging others and helping others to do the same thing. But at the very same time, as these people are running as fast as they can to get away from the trouble, these home videos showed police, the fire, EMS, military, faithful men and women running and driving in the exact opposite direction. Heading into the trouble, ready and willing to go into the buildings that were on fire, to go into the fire itself. Many of them knew that they were potentially going on a mission that would cost them their lives, and they still ran in. Above and beyond that, if you were to pull one of those workers aside as they're driving toward this, and if you were to say to them, you're going to die in there, they still would have gone. It cost 415 emergency workers their lives on that day. And others have died in the years that followed because of the lasting effects of being so near to the buildings as they collapsed. That brings us to the theme of today's message. Focusing in on Matthew one twenty one, she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. At the coming of Jesus to the earth, our Heavenly Father initiated a rescue plan. His final rescue plan for fallen humanity. A rescue plan that would come at great cost. And so this morning, we're simply going to go through the various parts of this sentence. Uh, the, we're going to focus on like five different things. So the, the you shall and he will. Then we're going to talk about Jesus, the name Jesus. Save his people from their sins. So he will. The name Jesus, save his people from their sins. I pray that our hearts will be stirred as we rejoice in our Savior, this great and glorious Jesus Christ. We pick up this morning as Joseph, who was resolved to divorce Mary quietly when he found out uh, that she was pregnant, he encounters an angel of the Lord in a dream who tells him not to divorce Mary. That her story of being pregnant by the Holy Spirit was not made up. That she was, in fact, pregnant by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I'm not going to focus much on this this morning, but, but I want to make sure we all understand. This isn't fable. 
This isn't myth. This isn't allegory. This isn't, this is true. This really happened in real time on earth, truly. So in verse 21, we begin to get the picture of exactly who this child will be. What do we learn? The first thing that stands out to me from verse 21, and I would encourage you to look at it in your own Bibles too, is uh, that the Lord is the one running the show. The Lord is in control. This work, this rescue mission, comes by His hand and His plan. It will be executed on His terms. And that's great news because He's coming to save a people who don't even acknowledge that they need to be saved. The Lord chose Mary to be the earthly mother of Jesus. The Lord chose Joseph to be Jesus' earthly father. The angel tells Joseph not to divorce Mary and then declares that Mary will bear a son. Not just that, but the angel tells Joseph what the child's name will be. Who usually names a child? Yeah, the parents, and specifically in that culture, it might have been the, fa- the father will tell you what the name of that child's going to be. Not in this case. Not in the case of the guy that Ben was probably planning to preach on as well, uh, John the Baptist. The Lord said, this is going to be the name of this child. We're going to get back to that name in a minute. Mary and Joseph are not going to decide. The Lord had already decided. The angel also tells Joseph that this baby definitively will save his people from their sins. It will happen, not it might happen, not we hope it happens. It will happen. He will save his people from their sins. Everything here hinges on God's ability to act, not people's. That is wonderful news. We need to remember this in our lives, in our families, in our ministries, right? We can plan. We can work. JCFW can come up with great plans, great schemes, schemes in the nicest way, I mean that. Uh, We can preach, and we can have services, and we should and must do all of those things. But at the heart of everything, we must trust in our initiative-taking God to work for anything of eternal value to happen. He's got to do it. We cannot. Nothing happens apart from Him. Nothing of lasting value happens apart from Him. We need Him to take the initiative, and Advent is a wonderful reminder that He does just that. He takes the initiative. And so the angel says, you shall call his name Jesus. All right, trivia question. Jesus' name in the original Hebrew is what? Don't be shy. I think I heard it. It's, it's Ye- Yehoshua or Yeshua, which can be translated to? Joshua. Joshua. Jesus is a further shortened version of that name. Joshua was actually a quite common name among the Jewish people, which is one of the remarkable things about the name of the Savior of the universe. 
is he had a pretty common name. Jesus came born in a lowly manger in a stable, in a town of little significance. He would be raised in a town of little significance, so little significance that one of his disciples would say, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Like, come on. He would be of little earthly account. He would take the form of a servant. And his name reflects, in one sense, that he became like us, one of us. But in another sense, his name reflects the purpose for his coming. What does the name Joshua mean? Who knows? More trivia. What does the name Joshua mean? Mean? Yes. The Lord saves. Or God will deliver. This Joshua would not simply be an expression of trust in the Lord. So the name Joshua, a lot of people would name their kids Joshua probably to say, the Lord, the Lord is our Savior. The Lord is our Savior. This Joshua would be the fulfillment of that name. The Lord saves. He would be the one by whom the Lord would do the saving. Who are the other two Joshuas that we have accounts of in the Bible? I, I, I'm looking. I want feedback. Who are the other two Joshuas? And you're not allowed to say Joshua and Joshua. <laughs> Where do we see the name Joshua two other times in Scripture? So the one who follows Moses, right? Moses' successor and one other. This is the tougher one. This, is, this would be Joshua, the high priest, the first high priest to represent the people after the temple is rebuilt in Israel, after the exile, in the days of Ezra and Nehemiah. Joshua was the name of the high priest. Both Joshua, who came after Moses, and led the people of Israel into the promised land, and Joshua the high priest who represented the people of Israel as they rebuilt the temple and the walls in Jerusalem, both of them brought about a hope of salvation, a hope of restoration. But neither one of those two Joshuas was able to fully provide the people with what they needed. But both were pointers to the one to come, the founder and perfecter of our faith. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. There's a lot to unpack in the second half of that verse. So his name is Jesus because he will save. First thing I, I want us to note, let's not just gloss over this, the heart of our Father in heaven. We have a heavenly father who pursues his creation in love. His image bearers. He pursues them in love with a heart to forgive. Over and over in the Old Testament, we read of the steadfast love and forgiveness of the Lord. He is slow to anger abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, forgiving sin and iniquity, forgiving people who have sinned against him, the creator of everything. He has zero moral obligation to let us keep living or to do anything good for us. We have earned disfavor 
but he pursues his people in love. And so, as we consider this word save and from our sins, it does us good to consider what is the big deal about sin. Maybe it's your first time at the church. Maybe you're, you're newer here and you're like, these people, they stop in the middle of their service. They read a Bible passage. They confess their sins. Now, this guy's going to talk about sin. Then we're going to talk more about sin in a few minutes. Like, what, what is, are you people being a little bit too hard on yourselves? Like, stop. The bottom line is that we do not enjoy discussing sin and we do not enjoy confronting the sin in our own lives, but sin is a huge deal. Every sin is a huge deal. At its heart, every single sin is a rejection of God. What's the big deal if I violate a couple commands? The big deal is that the one who made everything... The one who made us, the one who said in his eternal wisdom, here is the way things should be. I set them up this way. Follow my way and find joy and I will be glorified and I am worthy of being glorified. So glorify me in everything you do and you'll have joy. And we, who are not God, say, I'm not going to do that. I don't care what you say. I'll do what I want. I'm God. I rule things. So if if what I want comes in contrast with what God's Word says, I say, you know what? I do what I want. Every sin. Every sin is that. I do what I want, not what you want. What's the big deal if I'm not living for God's glory? The big deal is that that's the only thing you're supposed to live for. That's why we exist, for the glory of God. Every moment of our lives where we choose to live for self, live for our glory, ignore the worth of the one who put us on this earth, who keeps our hearts beating and our brains functioning, who gives us breath to breathe, he doesn't owe us any of it. Every time we choose to live for our own glory as opposed to his glory, that is sin. He alone is worthy of all praise and honor with every word, thought, and deed. And we judge him unworthy. I want want to be glorified in this moment. I want my glory. Some of us spend every second of every day judging God unworthy of being glorified. He says, live for my glory, find your greatest joy in glorifying me, and we say no thanks to the God who could wipe us out, to the God who we will stand before one day and give an account for the lives that we have lived. That's a really big deal. That's a big deal worthy of eternal punishment. What's the big deal if I worship some of my other gods instead of the one true God? What's the big deal if I worship myself, worship my comfort, worship my relationships, worship my work, worship my addictions? What's the big deal if I have other gods? The big deal 
is that there is only one true God, and he tolerates no contenders for his throne. That's the big deal. Our hearts are naturally inclined away from being and doing all the things that the Lord wants us to do and be. From birth, we figure out ways to go against him, to ignore him, to defame him. We betray the knowledge of him and we suppress it until we are numb. We tell ourselves it's none of it's real. It's not real. I'm not going to have to answer to God. I'm not going to have to stand before God. Even we who are believers in Christ find ourselves in the battle between the flesh and the spirit. We are tempted to put ourselves in the place of God, to live for self, to to put ourselves on a pedestal, to demand our own way, to ignore his wise counsel because we think we know better. We don't feel like doing things his way. The flesh and the spirit are at war. So yeah, all of that is a really big deal. And the Lord has every right and every reason to do with us as he pleases. He will get justice. He will get justice for our rejection of him. He has pleaded with his people. He had, at this point, he had pleaded with them for thousands of years. He had given them leaders. He had shown them signs. He had sent them prophets. Yet their hearts were still far from him. And when he had finally had enough, when he was finally fed up, He sent his son to save. Not to destroy, but to save. To save whom? All the very same people I was just talking about for the last few minutes. The people who live for their own glory instead of his. The people who reject him. The people walking in darkness. Paul says in Galatians, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. He came to save. God chose his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So he he came for us and he would die for us. Imagine that the World Trade Towers were filled with people who had murdered the loved ones of the emergency workers. Imagine if they knew that. Now what, in our heart level, if somebody, if you saw a burning building and and, and, and in that burning building, somebody said to you, oh, well, that's the guy who killed your father. What would happen in our hearts? Good, good. What if they still went in? We wouldn't know how to fathom grace like that. But this is what the Lord has done for his people. He sent his son to save us from our sins by living and dying for us. And we were the murderers. We were the ones who hated and rejected. There's a lot more I could say there, but I'm going to keep going. What what does the angel mean when he says his people? 
I see two things here. First, an acknowledgement of what I shared earlier. Apart from God doing the initiating work, sending the Savior, softening a heart, changing a heart, giving ears to hear and eyes to see, apart from that miraculous work which only God can do, we have no hope. We cannot make ourselves change into God-glorifying people. We do not have enough willpower to make ourselves change. If I feel a conviction and I say, you know what, I'm going to be a better person so that God will accept me, how will that go? Poorly. Because we need new hearts. And only God can do that. And so the the call to his people is an acknowledgement that the Lord will change hearts. The Lord will save a people for himself. He can make it happen, and he will make it happen. This gathering is a testament to the reality that God changes hearts, right? He saves. He rescues his people. How do I know if I'm one of his people? How do I know if I am one of his people? I'm going to make this really simple for you. Believe the gospel. Hear the good news of of a Savior who came and lived the perfect life that you do not live. Who would then die, not for his own unrighteousness, but to pay the penalty for our rejection of him who was then raised and ascended into heaven and seated at the right hand of God the Father right now and lives to make intercession for all who believe. To stand between us and God. To clothe us with His righteousness. To give us what we cannot give ourselves. And the call on us is this. Believe it. He receives Everyone who believes. And so the call is, trust in him today. Believe that his perfect life, his sacrificial death, and his victorious resurrection are for you and for your sins. Believe that though your sins separate you from the Lord, the Son can reconcile you to him. We make this offer of salvation believing praying that it's available to all who hear with ears of faith and receive the Lord Jesus. And it's all his work. That's what we're trusting in. But second, related to the words his people, real quickly here, for a Jewish audience, Matthew was about to blow their minds. Not not with how exclusive the kingdom of God is, but how inclusive it is. The Jewish audience would have thought in terms of themselves like primarily, right? He came to save his people from their sins. And the Jewish audience would have thought, yes, us, right? But Jesus ends the book of Matthew by saying what? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of whom? All nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Make disciples of 
all nations. Jesus tells his disciples what the Lord had been saying for thousands of years. My kingdom is bigger than just one ethnic group. My kingdom includes disciples of all nations. The eternal song of praise in the book of Revelation is sung by every nation, tribe, and tongue. People from every nation, tribe, and tongue. He will save his people, and his people includes every nation, tribe, and tongue. We rejoice in that, right? That it didn't stay contained in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. Disciples of all nations. And as we move toward a close this morning, that's good pastor talk, preacher talk, as we move toward a close. That's a, we're not cl- quite close to it, but we're, we're, getting cl- we're closer now than we've ever been to the end of this sermon. What does it, so, so we've got the name Jesus. He will, God will, the name Jesus. He will save his people. But what, what's it mean when he says, like, he'll save them from their sins? What, what does that mean? There's a lot in here. I, I, I could have listed a lot of things, but I'll, I'll keep it brief. Because we need to rejoice in this this morning. If you're trusting in Christ, I pray that you would rejoice in this morning, in this this morning. What does it mean that, that Jesus will save us from our sins? Well, it means... That he is the fulfillment of the prophecies made since Genesis 3, right? He is the one who would crush the serpent's head. He is the saving servant of Isaiah 53. He is the one who will usher in the new covenant promised in Jeremiah 31 and Ezekiel 36. A covenant that says what man cannot do, the Lord will do. He will remove our hearts of stone. He will give us new hearts. He will forgive us all our sins. He will sustain and protect us. It means that Jesus will save us from the penalty that our sins deserve, as we've talked about earlier. We merit separation from God eternally, and he comes to cancel that penalty. In Jesus, that penalty is canceled. The record of debt that stood against all of us is canceled, nailed to the cross. It means that he will save us from the power of sin. While in this life, He does so in measures. As I mentioned a few minutes ago, for believers in Christ, I think you know it well, the battle between the flesh and the spirit. Maybe you fought that battle this morning on many levels. My wife and kids aren't here right now, but I'm sure that there are some here who fought that battle as you tried to uh, make your children be ready for church and yourselves. But, but beyond that, we all know this battle. We believers in Christ rejoice this morning that he is saving us from the power of sin and he will save us from the power of sin. While in this life, it's progressive. We fight this war. Sometimes this war feels like a beatdown. But the Lord is with us and he is making us more and more and more like his son Jesus. Even we can't see it or don't feel it in our own lives. It's the good of a body of believers, by the way. I usually don't see any growth in my life. I usually think, why am I still like this? Why do I still struggle? 
it's good to have other people come around me and say, I see evidences of God's grace in your life. Because he is delivering us from the power of sin. And one day in glory, we will be fully like him because we will see him as he is. From our sins means that he will save his people from their most powerful enemy, their most vicious tormentor. And for that audience, it would not be the ever-present and hated Romans. This Savior came for a bigger purpose, to set his people free from that which would eternally plague them, to destroy the most wicked enemies, Satan, sin, and even death itself. He came to save from all of those enemies. Death is no longer our enemy in Christ. Death is our servant. Sin is defeated. Satan is crushed. What does it mean to be saved? Well, in this life, it means that we have been Declared, Jeremy said it, we have been declared righteous through faith in Jesus. In the courts of heaven, there is no longer any account of wrongdoing that stands against us, though we have done much wrong. The Lord canceled that record of debt, nailing it to the cross. Our sins are remembered no more, and they are removed as far from us as the east is from the west. Saved also means that we are being saved, as I mentioned a few minutes ago. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, the Lord is making us more and more like Christ as we set our eyes on Him. He is releasing us from the power of sin in our lives. And finally, we have the hope of being saved. One day, all sin, all death, all decay, all disease, and all pain will go away forever. No more flu. Hmm. No more cancer. No more sin. No more abandonment. Done. Defeated. Destroyed. We will be saved as the Lord fully establishes his kingdom among us. There will be no more sadness. There may be tears, but they will be tears of joy. But every tear that, that corresponds to the curse, wiped away forever. Nothing is going to be broken anymore. He will be our God, and we will be his people in full. Forever. Filled with joy. Friends here today who are, are not believing in Christ, I urge you to consider this Jesus. He is a loving Savior. And the Lord makes no other offers. Those who reject Jesus are rejecting God's last and best word to us. There remains no other sacrifice. There is no other offer. We will all face the Lord one day and answer for the lives that we have lived. And he offers to us forgiveness and righteousness, and life, and joy, and hope in Christ. But all who reject Him will be judged 
according to their own merits and found lacking. Believe today. Brothers and sisters, we have real joy at Christmas and always. His name is Jesus, and he saves his people from their sins. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, for coming for us. It is no fable, no fairy tale. Real, true, rock-solid hope. Thank you, Father, for giving us your Son. Who came, who ran into the fire to rescue those who hated him. That's what the Advent reminds us of. Thank you that you are a saving God and that you have rescued the likes of us. May we never tire of rejoicing in that. May we experience uh, the joy of salvation today and every day and long for the day when we will experience salvation in full when we see your face. May we live in light of that day. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.